Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. Today's guest is Chief Jason Armstrong of the Ferguson, Missouri Police Department. Chief uh, Chief Armstrong started his career uh, in Forest Park, Georgia, a suburb of Atlanta, in 2001. Uh, he started off as a patrol officer and worked his way up through the ranks, uh, spent some time as interim chief of police there. He holds a master's degree in public safety administration from Columbus State University and a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from North Carolina Central University. He's received several accolades during his career to include North Carolina Central University's 40 Under 40 Award, the International Association of Chiefs of Police 40 Under 40 Award, and Columbus State University's Distinguished Service Award. He's also served as a delegation member of Georgia's International Law Enforcement Exchange to Israel. Chief Armstrong is a member of the International Association of Chiefs of Police and the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. Chief Armstrong's vision for the Ferguson Police Department is to create the model law enforcement agency in the world that all aspire to be because the world is watching. Chief Armstrong, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, I want to start you off uh, where I start off all of my guests. What does the phrase burden of command mean to you? The phrase burden of command to me um, is simple. Um, and, and for me, it just relates back to responsibility. Um, when you're in that command position, um, you you carry the responsibility. And so it doesn't matter if you the commander of just a team or a shift or if you have an entire unit or division up, up under you, you know, you carry the responsibility for, for those under you. And so being a police chief, you know, the burden of command is everything inside the police department uh, stops with me um, when decisions have to be made. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the one that, that has to make those decisions. Um, and so, you know, that's that's something that, I, you know, I, I don't take lightly. Um, and I'm, I try to be very in, intentional about that burden um, because, you know, I, I understand the gravity of, of what comes with it. Um, and the people that, you know, uh, are looking to you for guidance, are looking to you for reassurance. Um, and, and you know, that's that's a burden that when, when you decide to take on that, the challenge of being a police chief, um, that you, you can't, you know, you can't escape from, uh, you can't hide from it. <laughs> you know, no matter how much we all may wish, you know, certain things don't, you know, fall into our lap. Uh, we, we have to be ready, you know, for when those crucial times happen. Um, because, you know, we, we do carry that burden and we, we carry that responsibility. Yeah, no, I love that. And especially in, in your profession, I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, through your 19 plus year career at this point, you know, you, you've probably seen more of your fair share of instances when, uh, you know, when, when, 
bad decisions have had extremely terrible consequences, I'd say. Yes, uh, absolutely. And that's, you know, one of the things uh, being in this profession, you know, we all wish we had a crystal ball. Uh, that we could look into for answers sometimes, but you know that's that's just not what what reality is. And so, you know, one of the things that I, I try to go about in my decision making process is is to always focus on on the the intellectual side of things rather than the emotional side of things. Um, and sometimes that's hard to do, given you know with with some of the things that we deal with, just carry a, a great deal of, of emotion is attached to them. Um, you know, but. You know, I, I always try to to think about that uh, when I'm making decisions uh, about things to make sure that, you know, I'm thinking as clearly as possible uh, when I have to make that decision and, and not, you know, thinking, you know, based out of emotion, um, because, you know, I've, you know, we've seen examples where, you know, just making those emotional decisions, you know, could sometimes lead, you know, lead you awry. And, and that's, you know, you, you want to try to stay away from that as much as you can. Well, definitely. And, and before we go too much further, I just want to say, uh, you know, thank you for your service. Thank you for being on the front line there. Uh, you know, that that's something being a veteran. I get told that a lot. But, you know, a lot of us in the veteran community, we want to push that back on first responders because, as, as one of my friends likes to always point out, you know, when when we were on active duty, yeah, we'd deploy for, you know, six months and come home or a year and come home. But, you know, essentially you all deploy every single day, 365 days a year. So, you know, hats off to the law enforcement community. Thank you all for doing what you do. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I, you know, I would say the same sentiment back to those who serve in the military, because from where I sit, you know, I don't know if I could do what you all do. And, and just sitting idly waiting to get that call to go to another country or to go to war. Um you know, and, and so, you know, I, I take my hats off to the men and women that, that serve uh, in that capacity because, you know, it's a different it's a completely different world from from what we sit in here in local law enforcement. And, and, and I don't think I could do that. Well, well, it's much, much appreciated. So um, so a minute ago, you were talking about, you know, some of the decisions made in the, in the heat of the moment and the fallout. And, uh, you know, I'm sure my keen eared listeners heard that you are currently the uh, police chief uh, police chief for Ferguson, uh, Missouri, and you, you've only been there since 2019. So, uh, when, when the Michael Brown incident happened, you were still in Forest Park, Georgia, correct? Yes, sir. That is correct. So looking at that incident, uh, from afar, if you will, um, what were some of the lessons that you were able to to kind of glean from that incident as a law enforcement professional, and especially as a black law enforcement professional with everything around it, what were some of the lessons you were able to, to kind of glean from that uh, for, for your personal uh, experiences and your professional experiences? Uh, I mean, you know, the incidents that happened here in Ferguson had a, a great impact on my career down in Georgia. Uh, and, and the primary reason being is the community in Forest Park where I worked at was almost identical to the community up here in Ferguson. Um, and one of, you know, one of the main uh, focal points of the incident back then when it happened here in Ferguson was the demographics of the police department compared to the demographics of the community that they serve. Um, and, and that was some of the same. That was a very similar challenge that we had down in Forest Park where I worked where we serviced a community that was uh, predominantly minority, but the police department 
uh, was was not very diverse in, in just a, a, a large uh, white, a large number of white officers that we had on that pol- police force there. And so just seeing how how everything played out up here in Ferguson and and when you had that incident happen and, and just, you know, everything that that came in the aftermath of it, you know, I was looking at my department and, and you know, just really my mindset at the time was, OK, that very same thing could happen here to us if we were to have a similar shooting. And and, you know, just taking probabilities, you know, the probabilities were in favor of of it being, you know, a minority uh, that that would have, you know, been the victim of that. Uh, and uh, a white officer that would have been uh, involved in, in the shooting. And so, you know, everything that I was seeing happen up here in Ferguson, you know, I'm just looking at it like, man, that, that same thing could happen for, here for us in Forest Park. And so, you know, after I saw what happened up here and, and after the DOJ report came out and just reading through, you know, some of those materials back then, you know, uh, you know, four, four or five years ago, you know, it led me to to want to get out and do more and be, you know, you know, I just I kind of saw where I was falling short as as a law enforcement leader. Um, you know, I was a captain at the time, so I was a commander of, of a patrol team there. And so, you know, it really opened up my eyes to to me needing to do more uh, and to be more out uh, in the community and trying to lead that charge more for my agency, because at the time, uh, in my department, like I said, my department was majority white. Uh, so I was the only uh, minority that was in the upper command. So from the level of captain all the way up to the chief, I was the only minority in that group. And and so, you know, I, I took that um, that that burden, so to speak, that responsibility, you know, to to be the voice, you know, to bring a different outlook and a different perspective to some of the conversations that we were having, because I might have been the only person in the room that understood, you know, certain things or why the community, you know, felt as though they did, you know, on some issues. Um, and so, you know, I, I just I just really, you know, I just really became very intentional uh, about that and and trying to, you know, to be that voice of what can we do to, to bring people together? What can we do, you know, to build better relationships? What can we do? to to just connect with people um, at a better level than what we had been doing. Um, because I think that was one of the things from a lot of police departments around the country and their takeaway from Ferguson was, you know, no matter what was going on in our communities at the time, I think, you know, it all kind of hit home for us that we could all be doing more or we could all could be doing a better job uh, of, of just trying to connect with, with, with all the members in our community and, and not just, you know, certain parts of the community. Yeah, no. And that's, that's good. I mean, uh, you know, the one thing I've got to say, and I, and I, I feel very fortunate to be uh, connected with you on, on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, for the listeners who uh, heard that response, uh, I can tell you right now, uh, Chief Armstrong is not just blowing smoke. I mean, it seems like just about every day, definitely every week, uh, you're posting some more outreach event or or some type of community building. And, you know, after, uh, you know, I, I would say just kind of on the outside looking in, after a, a community has been through such a, uh, well, there's no other way to put it, such a hellish event uh, all the way around, like like building that trust back with law enforcement is probably one of the biggest hurdles you still face today, right? It, it is, um, because there there's still a lot of of hurt 
uh, in this community, uh, you know, for some people. And so, you know, even though, you know, we are five and almost six years removed uh, from the incident that happened, you know, there there's still a, a lot of people up here that, you know, that are, are just are just still dealing with with the hurt, you know, from from those events uh, back there. And or, you know, some of the things that they you know would have liked to have seen, you know, from the city or from the community as a whole that maybe they still haven't seen. Um, and, and one of the things that, you know, when I got up here that, you know, just kind of, you know, resonated with me, uh, just being in a room with different people and hearing different conversations and, and some of the more outspoken individuals and some of the things that, you know, still bother them and they're still upset about is, you know, I, I recognize that there's still some conversations that, that needed to be had. Um, even though we're, we're all these years removed from the incident happening, um, you know, there, there's still, you know, there's still some some focal points, uh, you know, here in the city, you know, between, you know, certain, you know, maybe a, a group of people uh, or maybe, you know, some some uh, city employees that are still here or whatnot. Um, and 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 some of them that that still, you know, carry or still have just um, just almost like a, a rift between them. Because they, you know, I don't feel as though they've had the opportunity or have taken advantage of the time to to sit down and just just have a conversation or have some dialogue, you know, about what happened, uh, you know, back then or what was going on before the incident happened or some of the things that are mentioned in the DOJ report uh, that came out. You know, there there's still, you know, that fuels uh, a lot of, of the tension. Um, I would say that we see sometimes and and I think, you know, some of it, it continues to go because, you know, certain people or some people, you know, haven't taken the time to to just sit down across from one another and just to talk about it. Um, you know, doesn't mean that they're going at the end of that conversation, they're going to see eye to eye on everything or they're going to agree on everything. You know, but I you know, I'm a firm believer that just having genuine communication, you know, with people is is the best way to to move forward or the best way to take that next step uh towards working towards something um and so you know so that that's been one of the things that you know has kind of resonated with me uh with some of the conversations that i've had with with people here since i've been here is that you know some of those some of those you know just just really um tough conversations you know haven't been had with some people and and so that's one of the things that we're, we're trying to create you know when we do the different events and the different things that that the police department um is participating in well, yeah, and you know that's the thing, and I think a lot of uh, you know I, I would I'd be willing to say a lot of listeners uh, probably will fall short on fully comprehending a situation like that. You know the uh, it, there's just so many pieces at play with the community, with law enforcement, with with racial social issues. Um, you know, quite frankly, I think it's a miracle that we don't have more incidents like that happen. Uh, and I don't mean the uh, the shooting itself, but just these when incidents in the community happen, uh, we're sitting on a powder keg, I guess is what I'm, I'm getting at. And we have a lot of issues in this country that just are not resolved. And one of the things, you know, as somebody on the on the outside uh, looking in, obviously I don't have police training, but having some tactical training in the Marines is when I, where we have video footage of some of these incidents, you know, I see, to me, I see, 
uh, a lack of training kind of creep in a little bit. I see some officers making some bad tactical decisions that put them in a uh, in a position where they're more exposed, more afraid. And when you're dealing with an individual that already has some of these ideas of what an encounter with a police officer is going to work out for for them, they're scared and afraid. And I see what I see is I see two very scared individuals being in a very bad situation and fear kind of being that trigger point in those instances. Uh, so, like, what type of training uh, are, are your officers receiving now to try to kind of close that gap a little bit? Well, you know, one of the things that we're we're in the middle of working on right now um, is just a, a, a big overhaul uh, of our training program. Um, and, and so, you know, we're putting together our training plan right now to, to really look in and see, you know, what we need to put on and what we need to provide to our officers to, to give them everything that they need to put them in the best, you know, possible position, uh, to be successful in those encounters. And, and I, I agree, uh, 100% with what you just said, um, where, you know, a lot of time fear, fear is, is I would say the number one variable. Uh, that that plays a, a part in in some of the you know, encounters that we see, um, you know that 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 there is some video footage for us to to go back and 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 look at, and so one of one of the ways that you know we try to build on that is one of the things you know we we have to take advantage of what's available to us um, because one of the things about this profession is you know something could happen on the west coast. And, you know, on the East Coast, you could see people are out protesting or, or whatnot because of, of what happened if it involved, you know, law enforcement. So, you know, so we can't, you know, we, we don't have to wait for something to to kind of, you know, happen in our backyard for us to take a serious look at what we can do, you know, to to try to prevent something, something like that from happening. And so when we go back and when we see those videos, you know, one of the things that, you know, when we try to do is, is send them out and, and just have discussions about them and talk about them and and try to point out some of the some of the tactical errors that we may see in it um, and and see, you know, what ways we can incorporate those things into, you know, a roll call training or implementing that into our, our training, uh, our training plan for the department, you know, to to try to. To, to try to put as much in there as we can and 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 get as as many real life scenarios and examples as we can you know to to show the officers so we can have those conversations that we can start working towards those things um and you know training you know training is always the number one thing that you know I think everybody falls back on and uh train training is is great but you know training is not it's not the end all be all for what's going to fix the problem. Um, and so when we, when we talk about training, you know, you know, implicit bias is, is, you know, one of the, the primary topics, you know, that you hear in law enforcement mm -hmm. in this country. And so I could send, you know, I could send every officer in the country to an implicit buying, implicit bias training class. And, and I, I would feel overwhelmingly confident that all of them would be able to take in the material and pass the test at the end of that class and get a certificate that says that they've been trained in implicit bias. But does that mean that 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 officer has been given really any extra tools to assist them in working through their own implicit biases? 
Uh, and, and that's where I think we fall short sometimes is, yeah, we could check the box for my organization. And if the media calls, I can, you know, hold up and say, well, hey, man, my department did implicit bias training. But what exactly does that training look like? Um, and, and, and are we really getting to, you know, some of the root causes that go into, you know, implicit bias uh, and, and the different things that just people carry with them just, you know, from their backgrounds and their upbringing and their experiences? Um, and that that's often a, a difficult conversation, you know, to have for a lot of individuals. But that's really what we have to get to, you know, if if we're going to see some progress and if we're going to see some, you know, some some real uh, change, you know, in in that arena. And that's just one example. And so, you know, when we talk about the the training component and the training piece, you know, we really have to look at what we're doing and 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 we, we have to have a way uh, of vetting the results of that training. And that's that's what we're that's what we're trying to to hone in on, you know, with the training plan that we're working on here in Ferguson is not just putting a plan together to say, well, we gave this information, but what kind of checks and balances are we putting in play on the back end, you know, after this training is done and what we're looking for, you know, in the following weeks, months and, and years, you know, from the officers that go through this training so we can make sure that the training that we're giving them, uh, you know, is is beneficial and not just, you know, not just checking the box to say that we did it. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking for things that are going to be impactful, you know, that could that could really, you know, assist in, in what the, the officers are, are doing out there day to day. No, I I love that. And, and I'm glad you mentioned implicit bias, because that's one of the things uh, my, my partner at the leadership phalanx. Uh, that's one of the things that we we actually do training on. And I couldn't agree with you more. There's a lot of programs that are very. Well, I mean, you said it very check the box. And, uh, you know, one of the first things we do when we walk into a room is we ask people, how many people in here are biased? And seeing how uncomfortable people are admitting that they have biases is, is it's just it's entertaining every single time because, uh, uh, you know, we, we all have them, you know, and, and, and what we what we stress to folks is it's not. It's not whether or not you have them. It's are you aware of them? Are you aware of what they are? And you are aware, are you aware of how they influence your decision making? And and by the end of the class, when we ask everybody, uh, okay, who here is biased? You've got people throwing their hands up left and right because you, you can't make those changes if you don't admit that there's a problem, right? Correct. And 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 so and I think that goes back to the 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 title of the burden of command because being in leadership we carry that burden um and and so I, you know the the worst day in my professional career uh was the day that two of my officers were shot in the line of duty mm-hmm. and 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 so you know for for anybody in this profession that's just you know it doesn't get any worse than that now you know i was was blessed and lucky that both of my officers survived uh, that that shooting, um, but you know just just the the impact that that has not just on the officers that were injured, but the team members you know that that saw them injured and and just you know having to to live with that like you know that could have been me that got that call or you know it could have been me that was out there and I could have been the one you know that was hurt and and one of the things and this was um, this was a few years ago. Uh, when this happened. And and so, you know, one of the things that we've struggled with in this profession is just really tackling, you know, officers' mental well-being and their mental health. 
um, because that there's a stigma associated with that, or you know there there was, and that that's still something that we're we're fighting to this day. And I remember um, uh, a text message went out to my entire team, uh, and the text message was talking about um, that the um, uh, the psychologist was going to be available on a particular day. You know, if officers felt the need uh, to go, you know, to go talk uh, the psychiatrist, I'm sorry, to go talk to the psychiatrist just about, you know, how they were feeling and, and how they were dealing with, you know, the incident. And and I remember, you know, when the message came out to my team, the individual who sent the message was like, hey, you know, respond to me, you know, uh, separately or individually to let me know if you, you know, if you want to talk to the psychiatrist. And so me being the the captain and the leader of this team, you know, the first thing that went through my mind is, I mean, I could see people that I needed to talk to the psychiatrist. Uh, and and so I'm like, all right, you know, man, if I need to talk to him, I'm sure, man, we all need to talk. Like, you know, this was a very traumatic experience for all of us to to deal with and to live through. And and so, you know, I didn't respond to the to the person who sent the message individually. I I replied all so everybody on my team could see I scheduled my appointment first. I was the mm. first one to schedule an appointment and, and just trying to get the message through to my people. Like, look, there's nothing wrong with this. You know, whatever stigma you may have about, you know, you thinking that this is weak or, or, you know, that you're, you're not a tough cop and all this other stuff that you hear when somebody is trying to seek some help, like, you know, throw all of that stuff out of, out of the window. Um, like this is something, you know, if, if, if you are struggling with this, okay, all right, man, this is perfectly fine. It's perfectly normal for you to struggle with dealing with the traumatic event that you just experienced. And so, you know, it's it's examples like that when we talk about leadership and command and and the responsibilities that come with it. You know, everything in this profession is not just being you know tough and and you know just being you know the the toughest or the baddest person on the block. But it's it's all right, man. Can I be you know the the toughest person when it comes to something? dealing with an emotional attachment to it uh, or, or something that is, is normally it's not seen as being cool or, or, you know, the norm in our profession. Uh, I think we carry that, that burden also. And, and that's, you know, those are some of the things that we have to do and we have to step out and, and we have to, we have to put ourselves out there and be vulnerable, you know, with the people that we lead at times to just, you know, to try to, you know, put them at ease and, and to get them to understand that, you know, we're all in this together and nobody, you know, nobody is alone in this. And, and, and we all have struggles uh, in this and, and it's okay. I mean, we're here to work together to, to get through our struggles together. And, and I think that's, you know, that's a big part of the burden of command that, that you carry uh, in a leadership position. Mm, no, I, I, I love, love, love that because, you know, I mean, everything the chief just said there is, is a hundred percent spot on and it's, it's an issue we face a lot in 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 our communities, first responder veterans, uh, you know, because I mean, no, there's no sugarcoating. We see a lot of messed up stuff, so hopefully, other people don't have to. And uh, you know, that's one of the key factors in the veteran suicide epidemic. Is what the chief just talked about is, if I go get help, I'm weak, and so uh, we internalize it. We don't take advantage of the resources that are available. It eats at us. Uh, there's this term in, in uh, psychology called uh, moral injuries. It creates these moral injuries that, that don't heal properly. And, and, and the next thing you know, you hear about such and such, you know, 
committing suicide or or taking some other kind of drastic measure. And so, what I I love about that is you you know taking that kind of leadership in action approach and breaking down that barrier. Uh, not by saying "Hey, it's okay," but by showing it's okay. So that that is that is an epic move there, Chief. I really like that. Thank you for for sharing that story. No problem. No problem. So you know we've talked a little bit about about Ferguson and, and the incidents that have happened and the changes that have been made. And I know that uh, you know again, still some of my listeners, their whole ideation of what Ferguson is and is like is based off of what they saw play out on the media. If somebody were listening right now, thinking about moving to Ferguson, Missouri, what would you tell them? I would tell them that this is a great community. Um, and, and, and I would, I would say, and I would tell them that I had the exact same views and thoughts of this community from what I saw from afar. Um, and I, I'll, I'll never forget it. And I shared this story with, with a lot of people is, so I, I had never been to the St. Louis area before. And so clearly I'd never been to Ferguson before until I came up here to interview, uh, for this position. And so, the only reference that I had of this area, and particularly of Ferguson, was, you know, what most people's reference is and, and what we saw play out, you know, on the news and in the media uh, in 2014. And so uh, when I came up here to interview, uh, one of the things that they did was they took me on a, a tour of the city. So, you know, I got the tour of the entire city and as, as we're driving around and we're driving through some of these neighborhoods and I'm just looking at these, these you know, these beautiful houses and these nice neighborhoods and I'm looking around and I'm like, OK, like where, you know, where, where's the war zone? <laughs> you know, because that that's in, that was what was embedded in my head was like, I mean, this is, you know, it's going to look like a war zone. And I'm sure, you know, man, it's just going to see just all these burned down buildings and, and everything that have never been rebuilt. Um and and so, you know, as as they, they drive me around and I'm, you know, just seeing getting to see the the entire city. Um, I mean, my 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 takeaway, I, like I was I was shocked. I was like, man, this this is a this is a really nice city and they have some really nice amenities and some really nice things in the city. Uh, now, as far from a perfect city. Uh, and and so, you know, of course, there's always room for improvement in places. But I, I was I was shocked by how, how nice, you know, the city was and and. Uh, you know, just a lot of the nice areas in the city. And I'll never forget um, at the end of that day uh, when I was done with all my interviews and stuff for that day and I'm back in my hotel that night and I'm talking to my wife. And so when I'm talking to my wife and I'm telling her just how nice the city was and, and just all the nice things that, you know, that I liked about the city and some of the things that I thought she would like. And on the phone and she my wife is, is back in Georgia. And when I tell her this, she's like, she didn't believe me. <laughs> And, and she said, you know, she was like, man, you're just trying to, to butter me up, you know, in the event that they offer you this job, you know, that you just you, you want me to say yes to us moving up there. And and so I was just trying to reiterate to her that, you know, that wasn't the case. I'm like, you know, this really is a nice city. And so before before I, I accepted the position, I brought my wife up here so she could, you know, just get a, a feel for the area to see, you know, how how she felt about it. Uh, and so after our trip up here and, and she, you know, same thing, man, take on a tour of the city when we leave from there and when we go back and once we decide to, to, to accept the job and come up here, my wife was like, oh, well, we need to live in Ferguson and, and we need to live. And, and she, you know, she just, she was really taken aback by how nice the, the city was. And, 
and the nice parts of the city that we have here. And so, you know, one of the things that I think people, you know, just have no clue of is just how diverse uh, this community is and and how much uh, how much this community does together. Um, you know, that was that was something that was just very, very refreshing uh, to see when I got here. Um, and, and just going to some of the, the local businesses and, and things, you know, I really appreciate it. Like some people, you know, the first time that I went into their business, they took the time to sit me down and just have a conversation and just tell me what their experience has been like living here and, and just all the things that they loved about this, this community and, 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 and just how diverse and, and, and how you see, you know, just people from all walks of life and all backgrounds, all ethnicities and things, you know, just doing things together getting along together and and that some of the stuff that i try to show you know through social media on my linkedin page you know there's some of the different events that that they have here in this community in the city and you just see the crowds that come out and just how how diverse the crowds are to where never being you know before i came here and just what i saw uh uh on the news you know i i would have thought that you know white people and black people did not talk up here and they did not do anything together and everything up here was segregated because that was just the vibe that I got uh, from from watching everything, how everything played out. But but coming up here, that's one of the things that I try to highlight, uh, you know, when we do things in the different events that we put on. You know, there's always there's always a wide mixture uh, of people uh, that attend things here. Uh, and that's that's one of that's one of the beautiful things uh, about this community uh, that, you know, somebody, you know, if, if you haven't been here and you haven't, you know, experienced any of this stuff, you know, a lot of people uh, just don't don't have any clue about that. And so that's one of the things, you know, of my, my charges is for us to do a better job of telling our story and, and telling, you know, our whole story. That way, you know, more people can see, you know, what this community really is about uh, and, and, you know, where where they're where they're trying to, to go. No, that, I love it. And, and, you know, it's, it's that way a lot of times, like people have, you know, when we talked about implicit bias before, uh, you know, a lot of people have that about places and they don't realize it. You know, I mean, my wife and I are from the military and, and, uh, career afterwards, we've lived a lot of different places. And, uh, you know, one of the places that, that we lived was a little town called Bethel, Alaska. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always funny to hear some of the, the stereotype things that people think happen out in Bush, Alaska. Sure. Some of them are true. Uh, (laughs) but it's always interesting to hear what people think a place is like versus what it's really like. So, uh, but, but that's great. And, and, you know, listening to you tell the story, it kind of makes sense because if you don't have that type of reaction to an event, if you don't love the place and think it can do better and it sounds like sounds to me like that was really the root of the the community's response was we know we're better than this we know we deserve better there was more anger of not being better yes you you have some some very passionate people here um and and you know and they have a, a genuine love uh for this city um and and sometimes you know that's what what leads to you know some of the uh, some of the tensions because you know sometimes I mean we're all we all don't do things the same way and, and we all don't have the same uh, ideals of, of what things should look like and and so 
you know, but nonetheless, you know, people that may have a difference of opinion on some of those things, you know, I think the the base of where uh, they're coming from is just, uh, you know, just having a, a love and a passion, you know, for this community where you have a lot of people that, you know, I mean, they, they put their feet in the concrete. They're not going anywhere. Right. Uh, you know, and and, you know, it could be very easy, you know, for some people here to to just, you know, this is too much and, and I don't want to deal with this anymore. You know, let me go to another community that that doesn't have, you know, the the history or the baggage or the spotlight or whatever you want to call it. Um, but, you know, you, you have a lot of people that, you know, they no matter you know how tough it, it got they weren't going anywhere and they were, they were going to stick this out and they want to see this thing through because, you know, they, they, they just were that passionate and they had that much love for the city and for this community. And they felt bad for, for what was happening here. And so, you know, I think that's, you know, part of the, the responsibility that, uh, you know, that, that I bear is being an outsider that's coming into this community. And so I don't, I don't have some of the, you know, I don't have some of the negative history that some of the people have, you know, with each other up here, you know, where, you know, people, you know, they took one side or the other, you know, in the height of, of everything that's going on. And and so, you know, just just years of, of tension, you know, between some people up here is, you know, I, I come I, I don't have that that attachment. And so that's why, you know, a, a big part of what my charge is, is is just talking to to all of these people. Uh, and trying to have conversations with all of them and, and just, you know, try to see what I could what I could lend to the equation of of trying to do some things or put some things together in place where, you know, I mean, we can have some, you know, some of those important conversations and, and maybe, you know, we can lessen some of those tensions, you know, between people uh, that, you know, just, you know, they, they just had a, a difference uh, of opinion on what was right or, or who was at fault or, or who should have did this or who should have did that. And, and the DOJ coming in here and what their role was and just all the different variables that seem to kind of separate, you know, uh, some of the people up here is, is us trying to find ways that we can, you know, create a, a safe space where people can share their passion and, and share, you know, their thoughts and opinions about things and they won't be attacked uh, verbally uh, the character won't be attacked for doing so and just trying to get everybody on the same on the same page that, you know, everybody's opinion, everybody's voice matters. Uh, and we're not always going to agree with it, but we can always respect it and and just trying to 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 give that respect to, to people and also, you know, try to get people to to reciprocate that and, and give the respect to us. You know, when 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 we talk about things from our from our perspective, or our point of view. Uh, I like that. And uh, so, so speaking of kind of uh, historical and, and tough times, uh, you know, we're kind of right in the, uh, depending on which projections you look at, we're either right at the, the peak, nearing the peak, or, uh, uh, you know, maybe even approaching kind of a downturn in the, the, the coronavirus COVID-19 uh, pandemic right now. So a, as a uh, law enforcement professional, uh, it, with the charge of, of helping a community the way uh, you've described so far. Uh, how, how are you seeing that play out in, in, in your town? It's, it's been difficult. It's, it's, I mean, this is a, a tough situation for everybody. And this is something that, you know, we, we haven't experienced before. Um, and, and so it's, 
you know, somebody somebody used the term uh, the other day on a call that I was on is, you know, we're having to adjust to the new abnormal Ooh, uh, like as opposed yeah, as opposed to the new normal. This is the new abnormal. Um, and so, you know, with that comes fear. And, and like we talked about earlier, you know, with some of the confrontations that we see play out, you know, fear is is probably the number one, you know, contributing factor to um, you know, to some of the things that we see play out. Um, and so, and I think that's a, that's a big part of, of what we're dealing with, you know, now and, and rightfully so, uh, you know, fear is not a bad thing. Like I, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, pretend to, to be fearless in all things or, or, or whatnot. Like I, I recognize my fear in all things, but mm-hmm. I think one of the key, the key factors in that is, is how, how do you use your fear? Uh, and for me, I know, you know, my fear is a driving force, uh, for me to, to succeed in, in whatever it is. And so, you know, whether if, you know, I'm on a call and I'm, I'm having to deal, you know, with a combative individual and, you know, there's always fear in that and not knowing how those situations may go or, you know, me coming up here to take this position, you know, had an unbelievable level of fear, you know, in me, but I, you know, I use my fear to, you know, to just do everything in my power to make sure that I'm successful in, in whatever, you know, situation I'm, I'm dealing with. And, and so, you know, the fear that we're seeing, you know, from everybody in this, I think one way that we can, we can help manage, uh, help assist people in managing their fear, um, is just by, you know, simple communication and, and trying to get them, you know, answers to their questions or, or explain things to them. Um, because, you know, there is a, a big fear of, of this virus and, and, you know, when we see, you know, some of the reports that come out or some of the press conference and some of the briefings, you know, where it's, it's almost like, you know, we're being, you know, overloaded with information and with data. And when you have the fear that's right there with it, um, you know, it's, it's real easy for people to, to panic and, and what we're dealing with. Um, and then when people start to panic, you know, they, they start, the best way I can describe it is, is they start uh, just treating people badly. Um, and so, you know, we have some local social media groups here, you know, for the Ferguson area. And and so some of the things that I see, you know, some of the comments that are posted in some of the Ferguson groups and things are people just verbally attacking each other, uh, you know, because, you know, somebody went to the store mm. and and just different things like that. Or somebody, you know, ask a question about going to do something. And then, you know, you have people jumping on there, you know, attacking this person, stay at home, you know, you're going to kill people or you you could kill yourself and all of that, which, you know, all, all of that is true. But we, we don't need to attack our neighbors. We don't need to attack our community members uh, in the midst of all of this stuff. And and I think it's the fear that is is really driving uh, is really driving that. And so, you know, we're, we're working on putting some communications together and I'm, I'm working on trying to you know, in this this new digital age of all these virtual meetings is, you know, I'm working on trying to, to put together, you know, we would have regular neighborhood association meetings uh, here in, in the city at different locations. And so, you know, we're working on, tra- you know, transitioning those to virtual meetings um, so we can still have that, you know, that that interaction and that, that dialogue with our community members and our citizens. And, and maybe, you know, we can help just ease their fears, you know, about some some of this stuff. And 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 better answer their questions um, because there's so much information, you know, coming out and there's so many things going on. Um, and, and, you know, man, people, people are scared of this and, and rightfully so. 
And and we all need to to be very, you know, cautious in, in what we're doing and follow, you know, follow all the guidelines and the protocols that are being put out and put in play. Um, and, and we just we, we just have to hunker down and, until we can we can get over, uh, you know, the curve and, and and start, you know, start working our way back to, to getting back to, to to normal life. But for right now, it absolutely is the, the new abnormal. No, I, I really like that. That new abnormal. Like I like some of the terms. Uh, that that are coming out uh, right now, like so. New abnormal is a new one for for me, but uh, one of my buddies, uh, Jim Bouchard, he was uh, he was just talking about. He heard uh, uh, I'm trying to remember which one. I think it was Bear Grylls uh, referred to so, uh, didn't like the term social distancing. It he called it socializing at a distance. Um, and, and I think I like that a little bit better because kind of like what you said, that social distancing, you know, it's like, hey, get away from me. But if you talk about like socializing at a distance, it's OK to be you know, six, 12 feet apart, whatever it is. Uh, you, you don't have to just totally wall yourself up in a cocoon and freak out if somebody is out of their house because they have to go to the grocery store or something. So, um, no, I like that. And uh you know, and one thing that's kind of interesting, you know, the the timing on this, uh, having this call and and having you as a guest, uh, we've talked about some of the the you know, some of the community issues, some of the social tensions, uh, and some of the implicit bias stuff. And this is something where, what I love about being in in the space that we're in with leadership and unconscious biases and things like that, is you never fully know what unexpected consequences decisions are going to have. And so I was reading this morning and I thought it was, I thought it was kind of interesting perspective. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, focus on why does it seem like, like the African-American community is getting hit harder by this virus. And uh, they were interviewing a couple of people uh, who mentioned that uh, they, they would not be wearing uh N95 mask or any other type of mask. And and they got kind of the same treatment like what you were talking about. It's like, well, you're going to kill people. You're going to do that. And, and, and the guy's response was, look, uh, you know, it's it's hard enough walking into a store on a normal day as, as a black man. What do you think it's like walking into a store wearing a mask as a black man? And I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, take on this is, you know, there are some decisions that, that folks are having to make about their health and, and safety that other segments don't have to take into consideration. Um, so, you know, it's just interesting what lessons we kind of glean from times like this, right? Absolutely. And and that's, man, that, that is one of the, the most powerful things um, about communication. Um, and and so, you know, the the number one question, especially when you know, when I, I took this job and so, you know, a lot of people uh, that wanted to talk to me, whether it's media or colleagues or what have you. And and the number one question that that I got was, you know, man, how do you you know, how do you impact change up there? How do you affect change up in Ferguson? Uh, and, and my answer is always, you know, one conversation at a time, because, you know, man, it's 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 amazing to me the things that we learn about people uh, and talking to them when we compare it to what we thought about them mm-hmm. without, before having that conversation. Um, 
and 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 that's and and that's that's exactly you know what what I'm 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 hitting on you know when I talk about just some of the you know just some of the negative comments and things you know that I'm seeing on social media and things like that you know as far as uh you know the parks you know the parks is a, is a real big you know tension point right now because a lot of people are going to parks because when this you know first happened that was you know one of the few places that was still open where people could go and, and still be outdoors and, and get out of the house. And and so, you know, I, I would see people that were just, you know, just complaining about the people being at the parks and and, and all of you all are going to die and, and all of this stuff. And but some of the thoughts that crept up in my head is, OK, you know, it's easy. You know, I, I have a good home. And and I have, you know, everything at my fingertips here in, in my home. And so if I'm sitting in the comforts of my home, it's very easy for me to lash out and to admonish somebody who is not staying inside their house and they're going out to the park. But if I really start to think about it and if I think at it from the depth of, okay, well, I don't know that individual and I don't know what their home life is like. And they may be living in hell at home. They could be living in a home you know, with somebody who is an alcoholic or somebody that's abusive or, or any number of things. And and for them to to keep up, you know, their mental well-being, you know, the the hour that they spend walking around at the park, you know, may be the only getaway that they have. And so, you know, those those are the things that, you know, I try to think about or, or just look at different perspectives and different point of views. You know, when I see people or when I hear people talking about other people that, you know, if I am a part of that conversation, it's just some of the things that I try to throw out as, you know, what ifs. And so it's real easy for, for us to just only look at things through our lens. And, and that is what we apply to, you know, everybody else's situation from what we see from afar or how we view things. But, all right, you know, go take the time and, and, and walk up to that person. Keep your six feet of di distance uh, or, you know, send them a comment and just asking like, hey, you know, is everything OK for you at home? I see that, you know, you, you go to the park every day or it doesn't seem like you want to be inside your house. You know, just asking them, is everything OK at home or do you need something? Um, and, and that, that's been one of the bright spots, you know, that I've seen here is, you know, man, I see a lot of people that are reaching out, trying to support one another up here. Um, and, and that's, that's one of the beautiful things about this community up here. Um, I even saw one post where, you know, where one lady was, was offering up, you know, breast milk. If there was somebody who, who just in, in the midst of, of this, this chaos that we're in, you know, if, if, if breast milk was something that she could help support somebody with or something, you know, for their child. And, and, you know, like that's, you know, I would have never thought of anything like that until I saw it. And so, you know, that, that's the level of, of people that you have up here in this community that are willing to go to those, you know, those lengths to try to help their neighbor, uh, with some things. And so, you know, just trying to get people to focus on, this the the loving aspect of one another and and if we can reduce you know just some of the the negative stuff that we're seeing um you know i think i think we'll we'll be in in, in good shape as as we move forward with this thing i couldn't agree more man i i love i love that you know look we're uh we're on all, closing in on an hour here we're sitting around 50 minutes or so i know you're a busy man and, and got a lot of things going on so um, uh, you know, I appreciate the time you've spent with us. 
I appreciate the message you you shared and, and the good work you're doing. Uh, you know, the last question I like to ask uh, guests is, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover that you would like to touch on right now? No, nothing, nothing in particular. Um, you know, just just going in line with the the title of the show, uh, the burden of command, um, and and you know, just sharing a little bit of, of my story. You know, one of the things that that kind of helped me uh, just just kind of get so laser focused and and trying to get to the point that I'm at right now um, is is because you know man, I, I wasn't happy with some of the things that I saw from, from the leadership that I worked up under, you know, previously in my career. Um, and, and I didn't feel as though, you know, that I had a, a real voice inside, uh, the organization at times. Um, and, and so, you know, it wasn't necessarily me seeing, you know, great examples of what I thought leadership was. It was more so me seeing things that I didn't like that I was unhappy with that that really sparked me and, and gave me the motivation, you know, to want to 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 be in this position and, and take on this burden because, you know, I just I just felt as though, you know, it was needed and and you know there was a better way to to do it where you can still, you know, have a good organization, you can still hold people accountable, you know, but but you can you can be a, a better leader, you know, for for the people that you're responsible for. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I always, you know, that's one of the biggest charges that I, I, I like to, to just kind of put in, in the, the background of, of leaders. And, and, and I don't know if you get that sense from some of the things that you see me post uh, on LinkedIn, you know, but I post a lot of things just trying to get, you know, leaders to think about and, and look at things, you know, about how this is, this is done as, as a, it's a team effort. Um, and just because you're at the top of the organization, it doesn't mean that the person at the bottom, you know, doesn't have something great to pour into your organization or doesn't have a great idea that you really need to, to look at and, and take into consideration. And so, you know, part of that burden is empowering your people. Um, and, and that was one of the things, you know, I, I, I didn't feel empowered a lot in my career. Um, and so that gave me the motivation to, to really, you know, just just go hard after, you know, after my dreams uh, and, and, and really, really pursue, you know, what you know, what I felt as though, you know, I was I was put here to do. Um, and, and so that's one of the things, you know, that guides me every day is just, you know, knowing that I, it's, you know, it's not just me that that's in this. And, and so, you know, I have to lean on the people, you know, that I work with. Uh, because that's the only way that we're we're going to get this done. Because you know one person can't can't do it by themselves. Um, and and as a police department, we have to lean on the community, and and we have to provide you know a, a safe space for the community to be able to lean on us also. And that's that's the only way we're gonna we're gonna get to where where we need to go. Mm. As an excellent way to uh, excellent way to end the show, there, Chief Armstrong. Uh, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you being with us. Uh, if any of the listeners would like to reach out, ask questions, give feedback, is there a way that they can get a hold of you? Absolutely. Um, the best way is to email me. Uh, my email address is J Armstrong, J as in Jason, J Armstrong at fergusoncity.com. Okay. And I'll, uh, I'll have a link to that email address in the show notes so you can, uh, so you can a little bit more easily reach the chief. Uh, again, I appreciate your time and hanging with us uh, th this afternoon. I think I said morning at the beginning of the podcast, but that shows you where my brain's at. Uh, hmm. But uh, 
Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for your time, Chief. No problem. Thank you at all. Thank you for having me. All right. And, and listeners, you know, again, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Chief Jason Armstrong of the Ferguson, Missouri Police Department. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for him, you've got his email address. If you have any for me, it's burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, be sure you're subscribing uh, to the show. Rate, review, leave me some feedback. I really want to grow the show uh, even more and make it something that is uh, of great value uh, as part of your weekly podcast rotation. Uh, with that, thank you for your time, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the no, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid.